It's only entertainment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. we got a good guest today, Luis Merchan, CEO of Flora Growth. Luis, thanks for being on The Talking Hedge. Josh, it's great to see you. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, appreciate it. So for those that don't know, Luis, you're the CEO of Flora Growth. You're available on NASDAQ, publicly traded under the ticker symbol FLGC. Flora Growth, that's a vertically integrated cannabis company with a focus on becoming the largest producer of low-cost, naturally grown, medicinal-grade cannabis oils, CBD-infused foods, beverages, pharmaceutical-grade medicinal and cosmetic-grade derivatives from the cannabis plant. All of that. So not really an MSO, but more of like an international conglomerate, really. Absolutely, Josh. So uh, we've talked a lot, um, three, four times at least, probably between Seeking Alpha and the Talking Hedge. So I kind of want to just dive back into some conversations we might not have picked up on, like sustainability. So kind of a topic that we we like to think about, but we don't really talk about. Um, you guys really, at Flora, prioritize your organic ingredients. You guys have this value chain sustainability across all portfolios to kind of create this product to help consumers restore and thrive. But how do you prioritize that sustainability and organic ingredients in your product development process? Yeah, Josh, it, it wasn't actually, actually a, an easy choice for us. Consumers and patients today are more aware than ever before on manufacturing practices, ingredients that go into the products that they that they are ingesting on a daily basis. And it's important to them that they have transparency and they use things that are not toxic for them or for the environment. So for that reason, very early on when we founded our company, we knew that if we were going to manufacture consumer packaged goods, we had to have um, um, sustainability component in mind. That if we we're going to grow cannabis, we would do it in an organic way. And even though we are not certified organic. Our practices follow our organic procedures because we know that is something that consumers and patients are going are gonna to look for. And that extends to everything that we do, including packaging and the way we uh, operate on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. You guys have um, continued to expand internationally. Started out in Canada. You live in Miami, but we've talked a lot about Colombia, which we'll get to because I love picking your brain about Colombia. Um, as you guys are, uh, Flora is establishing a just CBD on the ground presence in the UK, distribution in EU, operating offices in London. How do you look at which areas, whether it's a state or government or wherever, how do you decide on that locale and how to operate and what factors you guys consider when making those decisions? Yeah, um, we, we certainly uh, evaluate and do a complete analysis of the geographical locations in which we intend to operate. Uh, they're driven uh, by how friendly the government is towards cannabis regulation, how advanced is the cannabis regulation in place, because sometimes you can have the government uh, in favor for cannabis reform, but the reform is not there. That has happened almost everywhere across, uh, across the globe. So we want to make sure that the regulation is at least in place so we can't actually do business in those, um, in, in those geographical locations. We also want to know if, if the know-how in terms of uh, supply chain distribution, if we have access, easy access or a rapid access to, to this distribution is available to us. And when you take all of that combined and add the people component to it, uh, do we have the, the people in-house in to launch that location? Then we'll likely open up. 
-hmm. When we don't have it, but we know that the geography is there, then we certainly leverage uh, either third parties or we work on M&A like we have on a couple of occasions over the last 18 months to ensure that we enter those critical markets that we know are poised for tremendous growth over the next five years. What are the ramifications of being susceptible to FOMO? Had you guys jumped into New York like everybody else and didn't take the money, it, MedMen didn't take the money, right? They, they looked for a better deal and now they're kind of getting screwed. They're left with uh, a, a marketplace that's kind of in a disaster in New York. They should have taken the money and ran. Um, and yet you have all these other FOMO individuals running in with this fear of missing out. And then they realize the regulations are, are going to take a while. And now they're just stuck with this, you know, this, this regulation that's going nowhere, no revenue, and they're kind of going nowhere. So how do you avoid that FOMO? What's your take on New York? Yeah. Look, in, in terms of New York, but this applies to everywhere else. We, we, we do not pursue trends. Um, trends come and go. And that, that, that type of speculation environment that happens, when a market opens up or where a new product is launched, uh, what it does, it creates a false positive in terms of, uh, of long-term returns. Mm -hmm. uh, we have focused on developing great products and great connections with our consumers and our patients. Um, we do not include, Josh, in any of our, of our, of our revenue forecasts or our budgeting what could happen or the hype around a certain geography because we know there's too much volatility around that, and really nobody knows what's what's going to happen. New York is a perfect example of that. Uh, we do operate in New York today. We sell some of our consumer packaged goods in, in, in the state, and we sell them exceptionally well. But but we have been doing it under under the hemp, the hemp farm bill, uh, and that has not allowed us has allowed us to like stay away from what has happened in terms of tremendous outlays of capital uh, capital investment to launch a market that is not being fully realized and hasn't been properly developed from a regulatory and distribution standpoint. Mm -hmm. uh, I looked at uh, ChatGPT, asked it for some slogans for you in case you needed some help as you, as you go internationally. So I want to see if any of these resonate with you on these slogans. Find your inner flora power. I don't know. Seems kind of pretty blatant. I love it. There, there's another one. We're not just another pretty flower. Which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> this one kind of sounds kind of corporate. It's naturally good, naturally flora. Wow. All right. And then uh, the fourth one is uh, we're growing like a weed, which I kind of appreciate because AI is grammatically incorrect. Instead of saying we're growing like weeds, it's trying to be colloquial. So growing like a weed. I don't know. Yeah. Nerdy. So well, you can borrow any of those if you want. Uh, I'm gonna. I, I will say that on the fourth one is very accurate about what's happening to our company. You know, Josh. Like mm -hmm. in 2019, we were pre-revenue. This year, we've given guidance of 90 to 105 million dollars. So clearly, uh, our company is poised to become a potentially 100 million dollar company in just two and a half short years, which is a testament of how fast we're growing and the potential that that we have. Uh, potential that we are just starting and beginning to realize. And some of that is coming from exports, right? You're looking at, we're going to get into some M&As right after this, but uh, some of that revenue is coming from being able to finally export. You guys have initiated some commercial cannabis exports to new international markets like US, but Switzerland and Czech, uh, the Czech Republic. 
Um, can you talk about that as well as some of the, the challenges, operational challenges of running this international cannabis business, like supply chain management or compliance like you mentioned before, um, whether or not you're allowed to radiate cannabis, for example. I mean, people uh, had no idea, even, even in Canada, where they don't normally radiate their food, I don't think um, the FDA does, but I don't. I don't know about Canada, but Germany definitely doesn't. So when they got their radiated cannabis, they set that back, and they're like, "No thanks." So, all in all, like, how do you deal with these operational challenges? Yeah, we 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 have learned that there there's a number of elements that will give a competitive advantage to an international cannabis company, and one of them, of course, will be having great product. If you have great product then you're going to have consumers and patients that are going to want their product all over the globe. Uh, but a second one, and this is a, a very powerful one, is supply chain mastery, I would call it, which is the ability to move cannabis across borders from point A to point B. And it, this not only requires the regulatory checklist to be completed, mm -hmm. it requires a tremendous amount of knowledge and understanding and great relationship building with the regulatory agencies across that entire supply chain. Because even if the regulation is there, the agent that is inspecting a shipment may not be fully aware of these regulatory changes that have been put in place over the last 18 months and may send something back and or may seize a, a, a shipment. And you gotta deal with that. You have to be able to troubleshoot all these roadblocks that you're finding when you're moving cannabis, which has traditionally been considered a schedule one narcotic across the supply chain. And we are finding that that mastery that we are achieving by doing this over and over, by having a great team that understands the regulations and that builds relationships with these agencies is going to be a significant competitive advantage for us over the long term. Mm -hmm. You don't even have to be shipping cannabis to have those issues. Like you mentioned, if if the regulators or the people in charge have no idea, taking Idaho, for example, not knowing the difference between hemp and cannabis will seize your hemp if you try to um, you know, transport it within the state, which is a, a lot less complicated than trying to bring cannabis in from a place like Columbia. Uh, you guys completed construction of Bogota, Colombia-based Flora Lab 4. That's a laboratory specializing in prescription cannabis formulations. I'm still really interested since first talking to you a couple of years ago about Colombia. I think, um, you know, landing costs were like 15, like under 15 cents per gram. Um, you know, if we could, if Colombia could get into uh, Mexico and then, you know, we already have, that arrangement between Mexican agriculture. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities, I guess, is what I'm saying. And it's really interesting how disruptive it could be. But is the quality going to be good? What's your current take on Colombia, the regulations, the ability to produce quality and consistency? Uh, or is it just going to be like some Bud Light comparison? <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a number of reasons to be excited about Colombia. I would say, number one, the, the government is, is pro-cannabis. And, and has very quickly advanced a law that effectively is modifying the Colombian constitution. And that law will allow for cannabis to be legal from a recreational standpoint inside the country. That's very meaningful. And that's in process and will happen before the end of the year. There's, there's eight debates to get constitution changed. Five of eight have been completed. There's three left that will happen over the next 90 days. So that's number one. Number two, from a medicinal standpoint, the Colombian government 
announced in January that it, will, it is covering prescription-grade cannabis medications for all Colombians under their, their mandatory health insurance, health government-sponsored health insurance. So now you have patients that can go and get a medication, whether it is whether it's for anxiety, for insomnia, for pain, and have that medication be covered by the government. That's what Flora Lab for is there for. We have we have a laboratory that is fully certified. We just announced that we we started commercial sales of 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 those medications, and that are sponsored by the government. And then I think the third one is is the ability, uh, agricultural ability of the country, to produce uh, a flower that will be up to the standards of the international community. Now that is taking some time because the standards of the international community vary in every single country, in every single geography. And even though there are medications, some of these medications are driven by preferences and tastes and they're not monogamous in a, in a sense that a consumer just wants to try one type of flower. They like to experiment and try different types of strains, different types of concentrations. And it's taking some time to standardize what the standard internationally is. But without a doubt, Colombia will be able to Compete with the bot lights of the world, but we'll also be able to compete with the with the premium uh, with the premium uh, beers out there. Mm -hmm. in, in in the analogy that you presented. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, what about CBD though? An entirely different kind of segment, and you guys are seems like you guys are on a uh, acquisition spree, or at least uh, continue to look at that, um, which I'd, I'd like to push against, uh, just to be. A skeptical. Uh, you guys completed this acquisition of, of category leading wellness brand, Just CBD, yep. expanding U.S. infrastructure and uh, your your CPG portfolio. Flora acquired CBD brands, Messiah and No Cap Hemp Company as well yep. to kind of enhance that product offering and revenue mm -hmm. streams, I think is important to highlight. You guys won an award for uh, from Benzinga for best M&A on that, I think, Just CBD deal. Uh, but I got to ask, man, as, as a, a commodity in race to the bomb and pricing, um, and, and everything else is CBD still worth investing in. Not for everybody, not for the people that are not doing it the right way. Um, I, I would like to present, this is my point of view, you know, some, some, uh, out there, uh, consider CBD not to be cannabis. But the cannabis plant has over 100 molecules. One of them is THC, and another one is CBD, and then there's 98 other, 98 other plus, and then there's hundreds of other isomers that can be uh, that that can be uh, found through through some chemical transformation, even that even if they occur organically in the plant. But I will say, is that CBD has proven to provide relief and provide wellness benefits for a number uh, of our consumers. Uh, it is. It has received tremendous adoption. And if you have a brand, a brand that is developing quality products that has a strong following, that has a strong consumer base, you should be in that business. And that is the case for Just Brands. Just Brands uh, is growing organically. Uh, we have a brand that continues to expand, even though when you look at the CBD industry, there's a massive deterioration. So the deltas between competitors. And our own and our and our own brand is, is is massive because we continue to grow, which is very positive, and we're growing because we have a great quality product that is well distributed, um, that that has 
great standards and has great great following from a consumer standpoint. So that's that's my answer. I don't think these these businesses for everybody. Uh, there's a lot of low quality, poorly developed products that do not have uh, a great experience for consumers. But there's brands like like ours that are providing a tremendous amount of of value for consumers, and they're showing it because they come and buy into our website. They go into stores and buy our products on a daily basis. Okay, just one one last follow up. Um... Because I don't I don't interview CBD companies at all. I'm in I'm personally unable to distinguish between them. They all seem like the same thing. There's many many snake oil salesmen and the ones that are really good, which we know personally good companies. But I'm not going to interview them because I don't see the difference in their product. Yeah, so yeah. how do you differentiate your product and how do you justify your valuations for buying that? I could go on ChatGPT and say, give me a, a CBD name, uh, a, a mascot. And how to sell CBD? Why wouldn't you go that route instead of buying companies? I'm assuming it's because of the revenue stream. Is is that accretive though, long term? The the revenue stream top line, but it's top line to bottom line. I um, mean, like when we acquired uh, just brands, we we not only acquired revenues, we acquired a team that is incredibly knowledgeable in distribution, that has tremendous knowledge from an e-commerce perspective and has done a great job at remaining relevant in a very difficult environment where you it's, it's almost impossible to market products in this category. They do it exceptionally well. And they have a great intuitive, uh, intuitive uh, foresight into product innovation. They're constantly innovating in, into products that, that resonate well with consumers. And I'll give you an example, a very small example of this. Uh, just over the last 12 months, we've launched a line of products called CBD Plus. When you look at CBD, just five years ago, a lot of consumers flocked into this as like snake oil, right? They had a terrible experience, never tried it again, right? Uh, we developed a product with all our knowledge that has a mixture of minor cannabinoids that provides a great entourage effect to, to those consumers. And those consumers are responding exceptionally well to these types of products. So not only we have the insight and the know-how, we are looking at our consumers and their to potential market and we're constantly innovating about what, what consumers are looking for and our brand has been well positioned when you look at our brand in terms of searches and in terms of SERP results as well as positioning in the industry we're a top top place brand and that type of equity is very difficult to build you can do it on your own but it takes many years to do so so we were able to achieve that and hypercharge it with the know-how and distribution that flora growth corp had mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. There's something to that with with the other cannabinoids. Um, I have a really, really high tolerance, like 100 milligrams doesn't do anything. But when I was at MJ BizCon just recently, I had a 10 milligram uh, THC and then it also had 10 milligrams of CBD, CBN and CBG. And I left to go to um, an event at like nine at night, whatever. I ran into a guy on the floor and after talking to him for like 20, 30 minutes, I was like, I'm going to bed. <laughs> I didn't even make it to the event, dude. I was like, I didn't, I was out. So there's something to that, but I, I think it's going to come with a lot of um, respect, AKA like branding, marketing, and a good company to, to kind of get that message across. You guys are definitely kind of getting out there, uh, moving forward. And you have other uh, mergers and acquisitions as well, like that uh, new German based business um, that you guys acquired a franchise global health. So that's going to be a German operations to solidify a crucial foothold in a growing international cannabis market. 
What was your strategy for going there? I know Germany's uh, largest uh, market in Europe, but they also had like a crazy, um, by American standards, they have a crazy uh, employment standards where like it's heavily unionized. If you want to fire anybody, you got to pay them like 10 years salary, which is great. People at Burger King have pensions. Uh, what was your strategy for going in there and um, scaling and expanding? Yeah, uh, the, the acquisition of franchise was um, was a very complex one in terms of evaluating the potential for the synergies of the of the of the franchise team. Um, the the know how of the team was instrumental in us making a decision. That company acquired the first license to distribute uh, cannabis in Germany, and has a team that has been doing pharmaceutical distribution for almost two decades. Uh, they not only distribute to thousands of pharmacies inside of Germany, but they also distribute to 28 countries. So it's, it's a supply chain that goes both ways. And it provides us with, as, a, as, as, as you've read, with a foothold in a very important European market. Um, now, there's complexities to it, but the regulatory framework as it exists today works for what we're trying to accomplish. Um, so it's important to highlight that we were not betting on what will come in terms of regulatory changes in Germany. We knew the framework as it existed. We evaluated the acquisition as 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 the framework existed today, and that's why we we moved in that direction. And the answer is very simple: it is it provides us with almost what you would call a, a silk route between Colombia and Germany, connecting high quality cannabis to uh, to consumers in the European market, being able to provide them with with uh, great medicinal cannabis at a at a low cost, which would allow us to have significant margins. And we have a team in Germany that now can do it, that understands how to move cannabis through the supply chain, and we're connected with our Colombian operation. Mm-hmm. Um, but so you guys have a lot of a lot of growth, a lot of good things going on. It's not really reflected in your stock price, in my opinion. Um, just kind of looking at it uh, without really diving in. It, it, there's I've mentioned this before. Stock prices don't really move in tandem with the fundamentals. They just move with the news uh, and they all move together, unfortunately. Um, So I am curious, being publicly traded on NASDAQ, FLGC is your ticker symbol. You had to go out and raise five million through a registered direct offering to, to help your liquidity position, even though that's in theory what the public markets are supposed to be. So cannabis stocks aren't quite there yet they're not really attracting uh you know some of the capital that that's required from institutional investors let's start off with the pros and cons of of direct offering if you can explain why you chose that pros and cons of that um look i think uh let, let me take a step back and highlight a couple of comments that you made which are very valid i think when it comes to the cannabis industry specifically We've, we've learned that, unfortunately, there cannot be many outliers in, in the industry. It seems like the, the capital markets for cannabis are moving with news flow, as you mentioned. So even you can do everything right, and still you will be dragged by the news cycle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that is, that is uh, the story of almost every single cannabis company out there, and that's why they, the cannabis index indexes drop between 70 and 80%. In the in the year 2022, which is just which is in, in, impactful. Uh, now, from from that perspective, we we have learned that the best way to navigate this very complex and hostile capital markets environment is to ensure that we focus on growing top line revenue, 
finding operational efficiencies, reducing our cash burn and shortening our path to profitability. Now, with that being said, it is important that there's always a meaningful amount of cash to allow for revenue generation, to allow for working capital injection into uh, the, the company's operations when they're needed. And there's some business units that are giving us incredibly high margins and the product is rotating and our inventory position is not where it needs to be. We would need working capital for that. So now going back to like the last portion of your question, which is, uh, which is why, do you, why do a direct offering? Well, we have prioritized remaining debt-free. Our company is debt-free today other than operational debt that we have. And then when we acquire Fativo, there's a, there's, there's a little bit of debt in the Fativo side, but it's like an incredible, incredible rate. Uh, but our core hold has, has no debt. We want to keep it that way because uh, it's important to us to, to have that flexibility where, 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 and use it in, in the potential future. Um, our investors and our, and our shareholders believe in our story and they want to continue to invest in our story. Um, you know, raising capital allows us to provide, uh, provide our investors more opportunity to own a bigger part of a story that they believe in. And they, that's the upside. And it allows us to strengthen our cash position, another upside. And the, the downside is that sometimes you're doing it in a, in a down cycle like we did last year, which can be somewhat dilutive to our prior uh, in investors. So you got to weigh the, the two, but on, on the whole, we believe that we have put the company in a better position to succeed over the long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's still wild to me that companies with no debt and, you know, stories like yours that have these international expansions aren't, um, aren't being decoupled from, from the overall market. So I got to be really careful not name, name as a hedge fund manager and investment advisor. I can't, you know, claim the investment advice, whatever, but it's, it's shocking to me that um, the way that the industry trades overall. Um, before we wrap this up, Luis, I want to ask you about some trends you're seeing in the industry. Uh, you've been out, you're traveling all over the place, uh, about to go to Benzinga. Um, what, what are you seeing in terms of important trends in the cannabis industry right now? Yeah, uh, I would say all over the globe, cannabis reform continues to proliferate, Josh. Uh, it is advancing. It's not advancing as fast as the industry would, would want it and the industry leaders would want it, but it's certainly advancing. Uh, we talked earlier in the, in the interview about what's happening in, in Colombia, but there's other meaningful changes happening in Australia, happening in Thailand, happening in Italy, happening all over the globe. And, and as, as, as reform continues to proliferate, then there's a, a better likelihood of something meaningful happening in the United States. And, and if, if that were to happen, then things are going to like become far less complex than they have been for the cannabis industry. So that's that's number one. Uh, number two, this, this is a period of consolidation. Uh, you've mentioned the, the liquidity component. Uh, liquidity comp cash and being liquid is a, is a very, is, a, is, is one of the priorities of all cannabis companies today. And some cannabis companies, even though they're doing everything right, they have not been able to truly realize their potential because they're not in a position to have access to capital. So you're going to see a lot of M&A activity happening over the next, over the next um, uh, 8 to, to 16 months. I would say the next year and a half is going to be very active in, in, on the M&A front. And then from a product standpoint, I think you're going to see a proliferation of minor cannabinoids, of alternative, um, alternative delivery methods, and a proliferation of, um, of new innovative, innovative products that consumers 
and patients are looking for, and we're looking we're looking forward to be a part of that that wave of innovation. Mm-hmm. What about uh, the future of cannabis? I always like asking you to pull out your crystal ball and uh, tell us what you see every time I see you. Things change all the time. So well, currently, what is your crystal ball saying, Luis, about the vision and future for both floor growth and the overall cannabis industry? Yeah, look, this. I think we are in what I would call um, the, you know, we, we certainly have been in a very challenging cycle that we are about to overcome. And and the the way the industry gets out of this of this cycle is by starting to show meaningful progress towards profitability, to, towards uh, distribution in geographies that are important to consumers and to patients uh, today. And when you start seeing and to access, like access in in a more mainstream way, and like it's, it's still like I live in the state of Florida, it's still complicated to get access to cannabis here. Uh, it is complex, you know, and and you're in a state that has that has done almost everything to to make it easier. It's not it's not legal recreationally, but you have access to medicinal cannabis. You have access to um, to um, uh, hemp derived products, and it's so very difficult to get it, to get access in mainstream uh, retail distribution. So when that happens, there's going to be a big unlock. I think we're going to see, like you saw, Twitter allowing for marketing. Um, you're going to see more marketing platforms to to jump on 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 this trend, and when the products and the medications become widely available, you're going to start to see cannabis on the shelves of your normal retailers, and you will actually start to see the meaningful potential that cannabis has for consumers and for patients. Mm-hmm. It might be moving a little bit faster than some of the locals are uh, able to take on. When I went to a cruise out of Miami, I was wearing a Seattle Super Chronics hoodie. And the guy, when I came in through customs, the guy was like, oh, you're really pushing it, are you? And I was like, I'm wearing a hoodie. If you only knew about the oil and the edibles I have in my bag, I'd really be pushing it. Uh, but, you know, maybe that's a podcast for another day. All right, Luis, we've talked a lot about um, a lot of things today. Um, where can people find you at if they want some more information about flora growth? Again, available on NASDAQ under ticker symbol FLGC. Where are you guys at? Where can they get a hold of you? Yeah, of course. Our, our website is www.floragrowth.com. We are on every social media platform. You can follow me as Luis Marchand on LinkedIn. And we are constantly communicating to investors, consumers, patients, and uh, broad communities as a whole. Thank you, Josh. Yep. I want to thank Luis Merchan, CEO, Flora Growth, NASDAQ, FLGC. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name is Kira Reed, and I'd like to invite you to be inspired by the women who are leading in the cannabis industry. Each week, we will discuss empowerment, leadership, and what it means to be a woman in charge in marijuana, hemp, and CBD. As the founder of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, I have had the great pleasure to get to know many brilliant and talented women who are CEOs, executives, politicians, advocates, and community leaders that are focused on creating a cannabis economy that is just, fair, and equal. We'll learn how these women make decisions, 
how they navigate a predominantly male industry and what they're doing to level the playing field for women. I hope you'll join us.